What's up, people, and welcome to the, another episode of the I Am Conquering Mountains podcast. I'm your host, I Am Conquering Mountains. have a very, very, very special guest um, joining us today to talk about all things excellence. She is an award-winning edutainer. She has worn many hats in her field from college professor, private tutor, college access advisor, cheerleading coach, and much, much more. In each of her positions, she has always strived to positively impact the lives of today's young people uh, from all walks of life, as well as the educators who are educating them. Um, parents describe her as their teen's life coach, while community leaders describe her as a real life example of what's possible. She is the ideal image for everything excellence. She has created a program called the Excellence Academy. She hosts a weekly live stream titled Excellence in Everything. And she is also a three-time author uh, with her latest book, The Pursuit of Black Excellence for Teens. I want to introduce you all and welcome Miss Lenita Holston. Awesome. Thank you so much for the introduction. Somebody has done their homework. I tried. I tried. I tried. I had to Google you a little bit. <laughs> and I'll tell you how I um, actually came across you, uh, across your profile. Um, there's a guy by the name of Sonny Joyce, um, or uh, his actual name is Evan, I think, but his stage name is Sonny Joyce. Um, yeah. He and I were performing at the same open mic night. Um, okay early March. I performed my, he performed first and I performed my songs and he and I connected and the guy got some bars, man. I, he, does. Like, he, he, he definitely has some poetic skill sets there as well too. Um, <laughs> and he and I started following each other on social media okay. and he shared a post, I guess that he, I don't know if you had him as a guest speaker or not at the black yep. teen summit. Yep. I was like, Oh, okay. Let me check this out and see what this is about. And, you know, love yep. the things that I saw on your page and love the thing, the, the work that you're doing for today's young people. Um, and from educator to educator, I definitely appreciate everything that you're doing to help shape the lives of today's young people. Cause they certainly need it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a middle school counselor and um, I've been in the educational field now for 11 years, uh, served in various positions. Um, but I've been a school counselor for the past five years okay. at a middle school in Pasadena. Um, and definitely can see how the work that you're doing will definitely impact the lives of today's young people for generations to come. I think the things that you teach them and the things that and the, the, the deposit that you're making in their lives is something that they'll live and carry on for the rest of their lives. Um, as you mentioned, like you're helping them to find their footing post high school. So I definitely appreciate all the things that you're doing um, for our young people um, as well, too. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for your work that you're also doing. It takes the village. We're it just definitely part, does. All parts definitely. of the village. Absolutely. So how did you, um, so one question that I have before we kind of dive into some of the things that, that you, that you do, how in the world did you manage to work a full-time job and four part-time jobs? <laughs> well, you know, when your back is up against the wall, you do what you have to do. Right. And there is no, um, the thought of your mind that if you're able to do it, that never crosses your mind. You're in what I call survival mode. Right. And so I didn't have an option. That is how I was able to work full time overnight. I worked overnight. Oh, I worked wow. for DC's transit system. Wow. I would get off at either 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. And um, I would go work part time. I had different roles for different days. Okay. So I taught 60 year olds how to use an iPad twice okay. a week. Um, I was a college professor twice a week. I taught okay. uh, public communication courses. 
Wow. And then three times out of the week, I don't know how much week I got left, but three times <laughs> yeah. out of the week, I was a college access case manager in three local high schools in Prince George's County. Mm. And I was responsible for helping low income students with their college application process. And I was hired by a nonprofit to do that. And so, yeah, when my back was up against the wall due to some financial decisions that I made mm -hmm. and I had a very aggressive financial goal, okay. uh, those opportunities came and I took them all. Yeah, I took them all. You yeah. you probably have to be like the most organized person out there to I manage am. that type of schedule. I am. I am so organized that it's probably to my detriment. <laughs> a little yeah. too organized huh? that's organized, cool yeah. like did that weigh on you at all like having to manage so many hats you know in a week's time because there's only hours in a day yep oh absolutely there were mornings when i would wake up so what what got me going what kept me going was i had a gym routine a few of my co-workers at the time we would when we got off work at 2 a.m or 4 a.m we would go to the gym for two hours I was okay. running off that adrenaline. Wow. So I come home, cook breakfast, lay down for about maybe about 60 minutes or so. And then my day would start. There were some days where I did not want to get up. Yeah. I didn't. I, I was angry at myself for the decisions that I made that allowed me to incur that much debt that I was like forced to pay. I was in a financial bind. Mm -hmm. And it also put me in a state of depression. Um, really? it did not feel good, it felt insurmountable yeah it just i i couldn't even see the end it it boggles my mind now how like you said how was you how was i able to do <laughs> right. that when i think about it i could yeah. i would never wish that on anybody mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely can understand because sleep has it well uh, i'm assuming that you probably didn't get much sleep during that time either right yeah, um two and a half years yeah i mean because i've worked two jobs before while going to grad school and worked a full-time job while doing a full-time internship and like I would get like maybe three or four hours of sleep a night and that a night and that did send me into like a state of depression because like I'm annoyed I'm irritated I'm tired yep. how yes. did you like push through that yeah sleep deprivation does cause mild symptoms of depression so I'm mm -hmm. glad that you noticed that and I guess that's yeah. the counselor in you that knew that but um how did I manage you know I always say God always favored me, even in my mm -hmm. journey um, when I was. So what got me into the financial bond was I was in a relationship with a guy. We had moved in together. We tied our finances. Mm -hmm. And um, when we split, while we did have uh, what they call a, a, a notarized promissory note, mm -hmm. none of the financial arrangements that we made so that we could equally share the debt mm -hmm. were like, follow through with so I was stuck mm -hmm. with it in addition to my own natural like the own all my own stuff right, right. I encountered like two persons debt mm. um it was fifty thousand dollars worth okay and I was 24 at the time I was making seventy five thousand dollars I didn't have any children um I, I to be honest on if you were looking on the outside you would say oh wow you've been really set up for success you got it going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but I was struggling I didn't have right. any extra money. I couldn't even do things like get my hair done. That's crazy. When I think about it, $24,000, $75,000. Why You're can't right. you? It should be the question. Yeah. Um. That's how many bills I had. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember doing my spreadsheet of accounts because remember you you mentioned that I must be organized. I was. Right. There were about 27 accounts on that sheet. Wow. I remember this like it was yesterday because I would every two weeks when I get paid, every cent mattered. Right. Um, and so I was determined. So you had to be smart with your money too. I had to time. be smart with my money. Wow. Um, but I ran into a mentor at Boyd Town Center in Prince George's County. Um, and he wanted to invite me to come and talk to his girls. They were having some type of girls empowerment day mm -hmm. at a Prince George's County middle school. And um, I couldn't even fathom. There was no empowerment in me. So when right. I saw him and he said that, I immediately burst into tears. Depression does that, by the way. Yep. You have these random spurts of unhappiness that you can't really explain. Mm -hmm. It's like anything. You're very like sensitive to everything. Thoughts, sensory, um, right. mood, environments, um, weather. And um, I burst into tears. I hadn't seen this man in five years. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, would you like to go like grab something to eat? And so we walked into the food court. We sat down and I just told him, I told him everything that I was carrying. I told him I'm working these part time jobs. I'm only here today so I can just like treat myself to something. Yeah. Get a little bit of that before I go to work. And um, he was like, I would love to coach you. Like mm. God has been working with me on like life coaching. I've never done it before, but I feel led to offer that to you um, free of charge. And wow. I was like, me? <laughs> and he said, yeah. yeah, the only commitment I ask is that one, you buy a journal. Mm -hmm. Two, that we meet bi-monthly. You bring your Bible. Can okay. you commit to nice, that? Nice. And so that was the start of me um, coming out of depression. So it was him. It was mm. God sending him that gave me like some sort of light. And I remember our first few sessions. <sighs> I couldn't stop crying. I just, yeah, yeah. I always took my hat off to those who've been called to work with people who are in a dark place because it's heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, that, that's big, man. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, somebody kind of, you know, was able to reach out and God put that person in your life to help you to kind of navigate that time frame too, mm -hmm. and gave you that coach to kind of keep you going too. Yeah. I think that's always beneficial to have a, a check-in partner too. You know, um, my wife helps me, has helped me, through a lot of anxiety and depression and PTSD and stuff like that. So she's probably like the person that I use to kind of check in with from time to time. Um, and it's beneficial too. So I definitely appreciate, you know, you sharing that as well too. So how did you go from the, the five jobs to the work that you do today? So once, um, once my debt started to like, I could clearly see um, okay. like they were, it was being eliminated. Credit mm -hmm. cards, open gas accounts, electric accounts, furniture. Once those things started to decrease, then I started to um, um, put in my resignation notices for the part-time jobs. Okay. So I traded. Um, I traded um, teaching the iPads. I got rid of that. That was the first okay. one to go because I really didn't want to do that, but it paid <laughs> yeah. really good. Okay. Um. So basically, as the debt started to eliminate i began to slowly let things go and the very last thing that i did not let go was um teaching those uh, courses at a community college okay. um and so while i was doing that my full-time job then i was teaching those classes part-time while i worked overnight because remember i told you i worked the night shift um right. unless there was an emergency we had a lot of downtime 
So most of my coworkers, they were sleep. We weren't supposed to be sleeping, right. but they were sleep. And I was writing my book. Wow. So I would I went to GNC. They had these women energy pills. Mm -hmm. I would take the pill at about 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And that would keep me awake. I'd be so alert. The words were so fluid. Yeah. So between my coaching sessions, one of the outcomes of me and my mentor meeting was that I was writing as a form of release, but I was also writing my first book, The College Strategy. Wow. So I was writing it along while I was working overnight. And mm -hmm. um, when I finished the book, I had a big uh, book release party. And that's kind of how things started. So I started so off very local. Um, mm -hmm. and going to church groups to talk about the book, do workshops about the book. And um, my first college campus was in New Jersey. I still don't remember. Oh, it was by referral. Someone on Facebook okay. referred me to nice, nice. New Jersey. And then I met a woman at a dinner party. She asked me, you know, what was I like really passionate about? And I told mm -hmm. her I would love to be a college speaker. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was my understanding that college speakers get paid more than someone who speaks to K through 12. Okay. And so um, she said, well, I know a guy, he only speaks, as a matter of fact, he only speaks four months out of the year. The rest of the year, he's home with his oh, family. Wow. I would love to introduce you to him. Mm. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> introduced me to the guy. She don't even know him. They're just Facebook friends. <laughs> he told me that on the back end. He was like, I've never met her before. I just know she's on my Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so we connected on a call, and I was and I was like really fascinated by mm -hmm. his goal to pay off his home. He said in two years our house will be paid off. Wow. And we're on a very aggressive payment plan. And all I do is speak. Hmm. And so I was inspired by that conversation. At this point, I was only I had let go of the college professor job. I finished writing the book. And I called him back and I said, can you coach me? I will be mm -hmm. willing to pay you $600 biweekly for you to just transfer the knowledge that you have so that I can apply like what you're doing. Mm, yeah. That's kind of how I got started. So eventually I got picked up for by a college speakers agency. And mm -hmm. that's what gave me a national platform. Um, so when I'm traveling to speak in front of audiences that do not look like me, likely that was a mm -hmm. partnership with the agency. Okay. And um, while doing that, so I've, I was still working full time. I still mm -hmm. work full time. Most people don't know that, but I do. <laughs> um, I ended up leaving that place of employment where I wrote the book because the schedule was very rigid. And mm -hmm. as my travel gigs picked up, there were things I could not do. And so I transitioned into a more flexible, flexible form of employment while mm -hmm. I was still paying down that debt. So you're still paying the debt off while you're getting the, the gigs and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was wow. literally building a business. I, yeah. I, I was I, I've always been doing several things at one time. Mm -hmm. I was paying down debt. I was building a business, yeah. writing a book like it, all of it. All is all happening at the same time. Right. Yeah. So and, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And I was going to say while I was traveling the country to meet different kinds of students, Mm -hmm. They all had my same story when I was 22. I was uh, graduating from college as a communications degree major. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what I was about to do with my yeah. $50,000 degree. I had mm -hmm. buyer's remorse. I had anxiety. I had fear. I was confused. Mm -hmm. And I was meeting students who felt like me. And yeah. that was my opportunity to solve another problem, which is helping high school students prepare a post high school plan 
So mm -hmm. that in addition to them electing a major, they're very clear on what the end goal is. And every piece of their college experience is strategic planning to reach that goal. No student should graduate with no idea with what's right, next. Right. Yeah, so, I remember um, being in that position myself, graduating high school back in 2005. You know, the only thing I knew I wanted to do was play college basketball. You know, and, was, and that took me into college. But when I got there, I'm like, OK, what do I do now? Yep. You know, so I definitely wish that, you know, I had somebody like you who could teach me those things that I needed to kind of figure out, you know, then I may have graduated a year early, you know, instead of a, a year. I went to school for five years okay. um, to get my 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 B.A. But, you know, if I had that knowledge of planning and things of that nature early on. Um, definitely would have been beneficial. Yeah. So when you're when you're talking to students, do you run into a lot of students that, you know, don't have not just like the knowledge about college and financial aid? Because I've talked to some high school students before uh, when I used to work at a high school and they would always say, you know, I don't want to go to college because, you know, I'm going to be in this thousands of dollars mm -hmm. of debt. You know, and they don't understand like about financial aid and scholarships and stuff like that. Hmm. But do you often run into students who will be like first generation college graduates? And what kind of advice do you do you give them? Yeah, I meet all kinds of students. I meet the privileged students whose parents have been investing in them all this time. They have a clear understanding of what financial aid and scholarships are. Mm -hmm. And they're likely applying to very competitive schools. I meet those kinds. Mm -hmm. Then I meet some students who are emotionally and financially independent while they do live with their parents. Right. There is just a physical space that they occupy. They're their mm -hmm. own self-advocate. They likely work full time. Some of them, mm -hmm. which would could be which would be considered full time for a student. Right. Um, right. And then I do meet uh, first gen students who are who have the family support, maybe. They, the family doesn't have financial means. I meet mm -hmm. all kinds. So yes, I meet all kinds. Mm -hmm. And the my language for all of them is the same. Okay. Because even the students who have the greatest resources and the greatest support and the students who have no support and maybe right. very little to no resources, each of them should be knowledgeable on how to think strategically about their plan. Mm -hmm. Once they leave for whatever, after they graduate high school, um, technically, you know, the world sees them as an adult. Mm -hmm. And the expectation is that they can think independently, critically, and kind of like, to some degree, be led in their own decision making. The world mm -hmm. expects that. Right, right. And so... Um, yeah, my, my advice to them is all, it's always the same, but particularly for first generation, um, college students to, to, to just be knowledgeable. There's so many people like first gen is like, those words are, uh, how do I put this? There's so many people who, so many examples and access to examples now that right. to say first gen to me does not have the same weight that it had 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate um, on that? Yeah, I, I'd say there's been an increase of college graduates who are of color. Right. right. There have been an increase of examples of uh, persons who have been successful without any college education. So it's not just, you know, like when you think about first generation, it's not 
or from if can you correct me if I'm wrong, are saying it's more of like you may not have somebody in your household that has graduated college, but you know somebody with a similar story that you can kind of look to for you know some guidance or some inspiration. Yeah, first, well, first gen is just defined as your nuclear family. You're the first in your nuclear family, mom, dad, mm-hmm. uh, sibling, uh, to attend or to do something. Maybe you're the first gen, you're the first gen American, the first um, in your nuclear family to be educated in the American school system, um, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, there there have been, and I I don't wanna minimize the challenges that those kinds of students face because in my opinion, most of those challenges are in their mind. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen if you haven't seen people that you are closely connected to do something and those people don't have the language to do what it is you're desiring to do, you already have like a delayed start in comparison to those who have been immersed in that kind of environment and language. Mm-hmm. The byproduct of that can be sometimes like a lack of confidence. I don't feel I am as equal in thought or in exposure as my colleagues who I'm essentially competing with mm-hmm. for opportunities at this point. So it does, it does weigh on you mentally. Um, and, you know, the, the root of everything that I teach with not only students, but their parents is the harnessing of the mind. We will always be mm-hmm. at war with our thoughts. Right. And the only person who could win that war is us. There is no external force that could win the war. We ultimately right. have to be like intentional about what we feed our minds. And That's so impactful. I think, go I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the commonality for any student, regardless of their situation, is mm-hmm. definitely them being conscientious about the thoughts that they're having. And then like practical ways for them to equip their mm-hmm. mind so that they can be forward and progressive. That's powerful because I heard Will Smith say, um, I like to listen to like motivational speeches from like Will Smith and uh, Dizel Washington and stuff like that. But uh, mm-hmm. Will Smith said, you can't win the war against the world unless you win the war against your mind. You know, mm. so kind of breaking through that barrier of seeing that, well, I don't know this person that did it. I don't see this happening. How can I do it? You know, yep. it's definitely uh, one of the, I think, many barriers that kind of get in the way from students being as successful in the things that they want to accomplish um, early on. What other barriers do you see have that, that keep a student? And let me backtrack first. Now, I know we talked about like first generation college students, but do you talk to students more about like not just the college route, but you know, mm-hmm. trade school, military, are those like the plans that you're helping students to create um, Instead of just a instead of just a college route. Yep. Yeah. I, one of the one of my favorite workshops to teach is the ten options that students have after high school, mm. um, and the, none of them include college. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I um, I love to teach about that because mm. likely most of them they've never heard of. They've never wow. heard of them, and I always feel we make our best decisions when we're most informed. Mm-hmm. The reason why college is talked about is because it's a really lucrative business that has a really large marketing budget. Right. And our states, like our state government, uh, receives money to disperse, to send us, to send us to begin college, but then we are financially responsible for the other half. 
So the system is kind of set up to lead us in that direction with mm -hmm. the thought process of we'd be more workforce ready and we'd be able to like increase our earning potential. Mm -hmm. But I don't see a direct correlation between college graduates and earning potential. Right. I see a direct correlation between um, mental agility, clarity, strategic planning, and mm -hmm. like very intentional goal setting so that you can have like a financial like result or return on your investment. Right. And you can do this in any form. You can do that by way of entrepreneurship. You can do that by mm -hmm. way of trade school. You could do that by way of, um, you could go the military route. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do an apprenticeship. Like, so yeah, I, you could work a nine to five. Um, you could go through job core. I always say one of the, I guess, underutilized skills, and this is, again, this is a teaching thing. Those mm -hmm. options that I just mentioned to you are not as sexy as college. Those options right. aren't really highlighted in media. Like mm -hmm. they're not people that we admire. Don't talk about their apprenticeship. Like people in on social media and movies and celebrities, they don't talk about their apprenticeship or <laughs> right. they went to job core. They will talk about college and where their paraphernalia and in movies. And we mm -hmm. see that you don't see mm -hmm. those other options. Well, you see the military, but they're mm -hmm. not sexy. So, right. um, one of the very unique ways, and I tell this story often, is you could go to trade school or you can study an apprenticeship, start your own business, and it will likely be slow in the beginning. All businesses, most of them start off slow, but your earning potential, if you got really good at your craft, mm -hmm. you're very skilled, you begin to increase your prices, you could out-earn the average college graduate any day right. and you have less financial burden but that's a like a mindset thing and those mm -hmm. are the kinds of conversations that we'd have to have early before we get them to high school where college counselors are not talking about apprenticeships and how you can start up that's not right that's way outside of their scope of like that's not even in the curriculum so, <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> And I, I would even go as far to say that's not their job. Right. It's a student's job to own their journey. It's their job to think strategically about what they want. Mm -hmm. And then it's our job, the village, to give them like knowledge about the options and how they can do it. But they have to own the journey. So how can a kid own that journey? Like they don't if if like they have these barriers in place that we mentioned. Like, how can a kid say? Or what does it take for a kid to say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. How do I get there? Oh, I love that you're asking me that because that is the, the part of my work that I most enjoy. Okay. I feel like those conversations start before high school. When mm. our kids are of age, it, at the age when they could memorize their lines for the Easter play, Black History <laughs> yeah. Month, when you can see that they can absorb information, that is the time that you are really intentional about having dialogue. It starts with dialogue. Mm -hmm. What do you like to do? When you see them doing something, you see them doing something well, what mm -hmm. is it that you enjoy about that? Getting getting them to identify um, like their areas of interest. 
And mm-hmm. then as an advocate or the village or an ally, giving them opportunities to practice what it is that they enjoy. You see, they're playing with horses and I don't know, it was a whole kit of toys, but they picked up the horse. They always have the horse. Maybe you take them to a stable and you have them like touch the horse and they're so fascinated mm-hmm. with it. Let's say they won't stop talking about it. Maybe you go back to the stable and say, hey, can we come and like walk with the horses once a week? Maybe you ask as they get older, can they come and volunteer? Then you find that they're like fascinated with the like the health of the horse and mm-hmm. you get to see their interest evolve over time. I always say children are a gift from the Lord and it's our Amen. job not to tell them what they should do, what the economy says they should do. It's our job to nurture the mm-hmm. innate natural interest that they have because that's what God placed inside of them. Right. We do that by exposing them very early. So again, having mm-hmm. conversations like, what do you like to do? When you see them yeah. like doing things that they enjoy, even if it's something you disagree, you don't feel it would make any money. You right. don't feel it's in alignment with who they are. That's so funny that as parents, we could develop those own opinions, right? Right, right. God tells us to do that. Wait, that is not in the instructions. So, that's like, good. Yeah, that's powerful because uh, I just I did a podcast last week with a guy um, from Annapolis. Uh, his name is Commissel Brown. Um, he's he does uh, like 3D art design, graphic mm-hmm. art design. He's done like murals and stuff of like Brianna Taylor and basketball courts and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, he travels the world getting hired to be paint these murals and stuff. And he was saying how his he grew up with his grandparents. And he said that the way he got started painting and grew and was by his he painted a picture. When he was five of a naked woman and he gave it to his grandfather. And, you know, most cases we'd be like, man, don't you be drawing that kind of stuff? But his grandfather was like, OK, let me think about this for a second, because this might wow. be this kid's, you know, gold mine right here. Wow. So his grandfather ended up like saying, telling him like, yeah, this is an actual good p- picture that you drew. Mm. So, you know, like what you're saying about, you know, kind of nurturing those our kids and the things that they enjoy, even if, it, even if it's something that. As a parent, we don't think that it's appropriate uh, for mm-hmm. them to to partake in that or something that we don't think would be lucrative. You know, mm-hmm. it, they can take that and create a whole nother brand or business off of that. Yeah. So wow. yeah, I definitely appreciate you sharing that as well, too. That's so powerful. And, you know, mm-hmm. our kids are a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. The words that we say to them literally becomes their identity. Until they become old enough to start reframing their mind. Some adults Mm -hmm. never get to the point where they reframe. They Mm -hmm. still have all of the words that their parents have identified and labeled them as good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God bless you if it was good, but if it was not, (laughs) that's something they struggle with. And so like affirming when you see something like you literally are lighting the flame or -hmm. you're like taking the flame away. Granddad could have easily said, "This is this is disturbing." Right, and ripped it up. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he affirmed him. So I'm interested. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that is powerful. So I wonder, I wonder what's your take on like, because you help students like figure out how to create their plan, right? So yeah. I'm interested to hear like, what are your thoughts when someone says, or when a student says they want to be a professional athlete? And then someone tells them, well, you need to have a backup plan just in case you don't make it. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I teach students the intersection of their interests, which Mm -hmm. means for every industry that you're interested in, there are almost a jillion ways in which you can skin that cat. 
You mentioned you wanted to be a professional athlete. Likely that's what you see. But when Mm -hmm. you strip away, not strip away, when you like unveil every other business organization, Mm -hmm. every role that has to touch an athlete, is that the only interest that you have? Mm -hmm. Or is that the only one that you know? That's a good point. Most of the time they'll say that's the only one I know. Great. Now we have some place and a starting point to do some research. Mm -hmm. And then that they may find they'll discover things they didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. We can only dream based off of what we've seen. Right. So the more we're clear about our children's interests, we can begin to like put them in environments so that they can see like under the rug. What else is what other options are there? How else are mm-hmm. people making money from this thing? Yeah. Sports is a huge business and it's more than just playing it. Right. But you wouldn't know that unless someone like unveiled the rug. Mm. So that's our job to get them to see everything. That would be my first reaction it wouldn't be have a backup plan it would be well do you know how else how else you can make money in sports and mm-hmm. in some instances without the physical fatigue on your body you make <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah i did a guidance lesson for my uh middle school student or often do a guidance lessons for my middle school students and i show them like the average amount of years that a professional athlete will spend playing that particular sport if like the nfl is like three and a half years the average player NBA is a little more, MLB is the longest, I think. Um, And I often talk to them about the plan A to their plan A. You know, like they have the plan A to get to the NBA or to the NFL. But if you're in that realm where you're you're now looking at, you know, the end of your career, what's going to take you into the next Mm. phase of life? You know, so we often talk about like, I often talk to them about, okay, you have this plan A, go for it. But then on your way there, think about what you're going to do after you're done playing. You know, most players are going to play 20 years in the NBA. You know, I pray that they are one of those players. You know, I was at that point where I wanted to be one of those players, you know. But all of, like you mentioned, like the wear and the tear on your body and things of that nature. You know, what are you going to take? What's going to take you into the next phase of life? You know, even for like people who want to be like doctors or lawyers or educators like us. You know, I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do when I'm ready to retire? Am I going to want to go into another career phase or I'm going to want to do something else? You know, so I think about, you know, that aspect. Um, But I definitely add to my repertoire um, what you mentioned, the inter, what was it? The intersection. Intersection, yep. How how else can you skin that cat? That's what I usually say. How else can you skin that cat? Nice. I definitely will add that in my next next lesson with my students. Okay. And you wrote... Uh, your latest book, um, The Pursuit of Black Excellence for Teens. Uh, what can people expect to out of that book? Yeah, you know, I wrote this book for the students who I also began to meet as I mm-hmm. began to work with the younger demographics who are unable to answer the questions. I really don't know what I like. Mm. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know mm. what I do well. I meet a lot of students in that category. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like there was an opportunity for me to like help them with their self-discovery. Okay. And so the pursuit of black excellence is broken down into three collections. The first one being self-excellence. And that's getting so clear about who you are, what you like, what you enjoy, where are your core values? What do you dislike? Why? Mm-hmm. What's the narrative that you have in your mind? What does your inner critic say about you? It's, it's a very, I don't know if you've ever created something and you look back and say that, it's very self-excellence is my favorite collection by the way but Mm. it's very like it's powerful and Mm -hmm. i mean that unbiasedly um 
And these are activities that parents can do with their children or mm -hmm. organization leaders, coaches, people who are like really invested. Like, no, I want my young men and young women to be, I want them to be certain of self. You can do mm -hmm. the activities verbally. So that's the first collection. The second one is community excellence. Okay. And so once you get really clear about who you are, it's time to start exercising that. You can do that easily in your community. You should always be practicing the thing that you enjoy. Hmm. Um, my three C's that I teach, if I ain't talking about nothing else, Charles, I'm talking mm -hmm. about building the confidence of our kids, okay. building the competence, which comes by way of practice. Okay. It's, it's a repeated practice over time. You do that easily by volunteering, interning, and then building the competitive advantage that they have at every decision-making table. That's Everything that I've ever do and will do is around those things. How, how did so, you come up with these things? Like, because that is like that helps me in my journey in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So, like, how how did you get inspired to to come up with those things? I know you were organized, mm -hmm. but how did you like? What inspired you? I think because that was my journey. Okay. I um when I graduated college and I sat home for six months, I didn't have a job. I had a resume mm -hmm. full of experience. I had interned every summer mm -hmm. um, and I was able to negotiate my first salary when I was 22. And the decision maker asked me, what do we need to do to sway you in our direction? And that was in the middle of a recession. Mm -hmm. So it, in hindsight, I was very competent. That's why they wanted me. Mm -hmm. Um. And I learned this. This is always the practice that I do after I'm hired. I wait till a few months, you know, but I always <laughs> yeah. ask, you know, out of all the candidates, why did you select me? Mm -hmm. And um, what Ann said, she was my boss. She said, you were the youngest candidate, to be honest. But there was something about you that was infectious. You are passionate about this work. And I mm -hmm. could tell you would be able to do it very well. Wow. She was speaking to my competence. Right. And so when I learned that and I wrote the college strategy, I said, there's a, I think there's some congruency between being so skilled that people mm -hmm. infectiously want you. Yeah. Um, and that ultimately, like the byproduct of that is that you have a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. If you're working in your intersection, which is like, I enjoy, this is the area that I enjoy, and this is the industry that I desire, mm -hmm. most people are not that in tune to their interests. So when you sit across from a decision maker, mm -hmm. it's like you, it's very obvious that you are the choice. You mean right. to tell me you like this industry? Eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's a no brainer. But yeah. the only way to get to the intersection is when you're young, you have this keen sense of awareness that you actually enjoy this thing. Mm -hmm. So then as you age, it's your job to get competent enough so that when an opportunity arises, you can be competitive. So mm. it was my story that I kind of like, I don't know how God helped me with the three C's. I don't have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But essentially it was my story. Yeah. Yeah. And that's powerful, man. Thank you. It, it, you're, you're doing the things that I aspire to do, you know, with, you know, helping teens to get on to a better, more productive life, to find their way, to find their passions, um, yeah. to get competent in it as well too. Um, to know the ins and outs of the field is of the fields that they're interested in so yeah. you know i you're definitely on my list of people who are inspiring me so oh, i, I well, greatly you. appreciate you for taking this this interview as well too thank and you 
how can people find you if they're looking to kind of gain more insight about the things that you do? Yeah, I would have them stop by Excellence and Everything Live. Okay. That's my weekly live stream every Tuesday, right, right. 8.30 Eastern Time, mm -hmm. um, 8.30 p.m. And um, I talk about all kinds of topics. It's a great way to get a taste for my teaching style and okay. my speaking style. If you're considering me to either come and speak at your event or work with your mm -hmm. child or organization. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like that's the low hanging fruit. Doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. um, I live stream on Facebook, YouTube and LinkedIn. Okay. Um, so that would be my my first suggestion. But I am on almost every social media platform. Same thing everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's Lenita Hostin. And can you talk one a uh, little bit about um, the excellence brainery? Yeah. And what can people can expect from that? Absolutely. So when I started, when I created the Excellence Academy, um, mm -hmm. and we've already ran six cohorts of students have run through that curriculum, okay. and it dawned on me that eventually I won't be able to meet the demand mm -hmm. if we continue to do the work very well, it will naturally grow. Mm. And the goal is to duplicate me. So to hire other wow. coaches, have them adept in the curriculum, to teach it in their own way, not by way of a script. Mm -hmm. um, and so in order to do that, uh, we would need like a team of coaches. And okay. so essentially I created an educational firm with the goal, we're not there yet. I've mm -hmm. always been like, before it happens, I have the infrastructure. I, right, I'm, right. I'm very organized. so. Excellence Brainery is what I'm growing to scale my Excellence Academy. Uh, okay. Uh, my vision is that uh, the Excellence Academy would be either we would be going into trained organization leaders who work with youth groups mm -hmm. or teachers who want to adapt um, this kind of like curriculum. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to say that lightly because you have to do that by way of state legislation, but they want to adapt this kind of maybe community in okay. their school yeah. um, that our team will go in and facilitate that um, for them. They would facilitate the curriculum, but we would train them on it. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. I know they can buy the materials. They can buy them, license them out. So that's the end goal to duplicate mm -hmm. me. I don't want to always be direct facing. Um, the next stage for me is um, preparing other people who like to do similar work. Right. Um, so that we can start bidding on these contracts. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the I Am Conquering Mountains podcast. I will definitely link your website and also your social media um, accounts um, once I post the episode as well. This okay. is Lenita Hostin. She is one of the most impactful people. And you were um, there was another thing I saw that you were like one of the top 40 under 40 educators, yeah. something like that. Yes. Yeah. A lot of awards. I probably could do another whole spiel and a whole, another whole episode on your accolades alone. But mm. I definitely appreciate you for joining me today um, and inspiring today's young people and also you know parents and uh, staff members, faculty, educators, um, youth leaders and you have youth groups yeah. and organizations of that nature. Um, to help build our young people up as well. And I definitely will take a lot of the tools you laid out here today and apply them to my own work um, as a school counselor as well, too. So yeah. definitely appreciate everything that you're doing um, and you will do and definitely will be keeping in my prayers as you continue to climb the ladder to the success. Thank you, Charles. I'll be extending the same prayers your way.
Absolutely. Um, hang tight as I stop the recording. Okay. <laughs>